0: as we bask in the euphoria of what has been the greatest week of White Sox baseball in a decade, maybe more. I mean, let's be honest. The team is good, the rebuild is over, the win streak, the crazy weekend at Wrigley, the four home runs and four at bats by Abreu, and then after they finally take a loss, they get a day off, they play the Pirates, and Lucas Giolito throws a no-hitter? Are you kidding me? In a terrible year, in a year in which we've given up so much, in every level of our lives, I guarantee that I am not the only White Sox fan that is beaming because Lucas Giolito threw a no-hitter. Absolutely giddy. Tell me you didn't have the biggest smile on your face. I mean, this has been a year of just crap. And the White Sox are winning. There's baseball on television. It would have been great to have been there. I'm sure 10 years from now, I'm going to run into some punk in a bar who's going to tell me he was there and swear to it. couple great plays by Abreu, a great play by Mendick, an incredible play by Tim Anderson. And I held my breath as Adam Engel made the play to end that game. Team effort. One of those guys you always root for in Lucas Giolito. I don't think I can say anything that hasn't been said by every Twitter account and every person covering the no-hitter on Tuesday night. So all I can say from the bottom of my heart, thank you, Lucas. Thank you, White Sox. I don't know how this season will go. I don't know how this year will go. But for the first time in a long time, it didn't matter if we were inside the ballpark. We were all together on that final out. We were all yelling in our basements, or our living rooms, or in our cars, or wherever we were at. We all collectively celebrated at the exact same time. I made all my children turn off their devices. My daughter had to turn off some stupid teenager show that has vampires in it. My son had to stop playing on his iPad. My other son had to stop playing Fortnite, and I made them sit in front of the television. And at the end of it, they were all hugging. Ask me a couple of months ago if I thought that was possible for just a moment in 2020. Again, thank you, Gio, Lucas Giolito, White Sox team. If if you don't love this team at this point, you don't have a heart. That said, the majority of this show was recorded before the no-hitter. So if we talk about the record, add another win. Luckily, it was a pretty positive show. Otherwise, I would have had to erase the entire thing, right? So let's get to it as I bring in Dave at my 9-foot homemade Oak Bar, my friend of 40 years who celebrated with me on the phone Tuesday night right after that final out. Sit back and enjoy some socks in the basement. Let's go. Socks in the basement brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Go check them out at famws.com. They've got great socks in the basement deals. Your foundation's got problems, you got seepage, you got water in the basement. You're concerned about anything that has to do with ground level or lower in and around your house, contact them. Today, family-owned, veteran-owned, female-owned, and a portion of the proceeds from every job going to veteran and first responder organizations. David, my friend. What's up, Chris? We have to make a few adjustments, I think, in our thinking or mindset when it comes to the White Sox after this streak they were on. Now, I'm not going to immediately say...
1: You are going to have a harder time with this than me, but I'm just saying. Okay, well, no,
0: I'm I'm okay. Here's the thing. We were just saying as I was sitting down here at the 9-Foot Homemade Oak Bar... I would rather be wrong and winning than right and losing. Yes. And I still stand by when we sat down and talked about how this team is better against lefties than they are against righties. I, I went back and looked over it because we had differing uh, numbers, but technically the White Sox against left-handed starting pitchers are 6-0 and this year and 11-12 and 12 against right-handed pitchers for a total record going into Tuesday night, which is last night of 17-12. and 12, A recording before the game actually occurs I believe that they will be 18 and 12 by the time people have listened to this show because Steven Brault is a lefty and he's going to get crushed
1: by the team. And the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they don't exactly put that. Well, you, you, you know, they don't exactly put the fear of God into you. Now, you know, just to recap what's happened this week, this has been an amazing week for the White Sox. I mean, so you win two out of three against the Cubs. You sweep the Tigers four games after taking the last game against the Cardinals. So you had yourself a seven-game win streak there. And Sunday, you just you just ran into a buzzsaw with Hugh Darvish. I mean, I don't necessarily blame I don't blame the lineup for that. It's just Hugh Darvish is good. Yeah, Hugh Darvish is good, man. Like that is a that is a good pitcher that has rediscovered himself and you know encouraging game encouraging thing out of that game Dylan Cease man like look good he was right there with him look good and you know what's crazy
0: about it is that look I got a little bit of flack on Twitter because I said something along the lines of why isn't there somebody warming up during the inning where Schwarber hits the home run I'm not saying I would have pulled Cease to be honest with you in the fifth inning it wasn't Cease's fault it was Mancada's that you were having the ball thrown all over the place and there were guys all over the base paths. Right. It, that was on Mancada. Cease showed the ability to get over mistakes by his defense. I, I'm with Ricky Renteria. I was confident in Dylan Cease. But yes. as you enter the sixth inning of a game with a guy who's probably going to finish that inning in the high 90s or low 100s in his pitch count as he comes out of it, there's nothing wrong with having a guy warm. And they had nobody start warming up until after the Schwarber home run. And I don't understand what such a deep relief pitching group, like such a deep bullpen that you're not willing to have somebody start warming up to start the sixth inning just in case. Because what if after the two run home run, the hit parade continues. Or right. what if instead of it going out it goes off the wall. Now you got guys running all over the bases and he's in a jam and they start to pile it on and you're rushing to try to warm somebody up. In the end that game was not lost by Ricky Ranteria or really Dylan Cece had a great no, game. No, it was
1: just one of those game it was just one of those games where you just ran into a better starting pitcher. Exactly. You just ran into a guy who was just could not be he could not be hit. Um couple of other observations uh over the, the past week. Jose Abreu just loves playing the Cubs, man. I
0: want, to give, I want to give another reason why Jose Abreu is breaking out. And it also affects our Ricks factor, where I've been measuring. I was calling it the Ricky Rick factor. I've decided that sounds stupid. We're going with the Ricks factor now. Rick Hahn and Rick Renteria and their impact on the team. I went back and took a look at the last week. From the moment the White Sox started that streak, coming out of the doubleheader against the Cardinals, and something very interesting happened in Game 2. In game two, Edwin Encarnacion was no longer the protection behind Abreu in the five spot with Jimenez hitting six. No, it was Eloy. They were flipped. From the time that Aloy Jimenez, starting the day after that doubleheader, sat behind Jose Abreu, his statistics immediately started to go up against righties and lefties together. Yes. In fact, being protected seemed to make a big difference because Eloy, as we've said, has been one of the better hitters against right-handed pitching so far to date. And now all of a sudden, Abreu's sitting there in the four spot instead of the three. He, he has gone in the three once or twice against a righty since that's happened. But basically, he's playing in the four spot with Jimenez in the five. If he moves up to the three, Jimenez sits right behind him in the four. You have to remember that when he had those multiple home runs, the three home run game that he had against the Cubs, every time he had a home run, Jimenez came up afterwards to put a line shot off the wall. Right. He's He, he was making the pitchers so nervous, they don't want to get to him. And Abreu, and that's not to take anything away from Jose Abreu, but what it does is it makes me rethink a little bit the Ricks factor. So I went back and looked, and I wanted to make sure I had not given Ricky Renteria any negative impact where Jimenez is behind him or he's actually setting up the lineup to maybe take pressure off Abreu because Jose Abreu is doing so much better against right-handed pitching this year compared to the last couple years. I couldn't find any games to say, no, Ricky didn't cost us that game. I still had him sitting at a negative four. But I will tell you this, looking back over the last week, Sox faced three lefty pitchers during that streak where they rattled off seven in a row. So that's a good thing. That And that, that's expected that they're going to win those games. And they're going to have good outputs. I mean, seven runs, ten runs, and ten runs against those three lefty starting pitching games. I mean, that's insane. But since Aloy went in behind Abreu and Abreu essentially falls to the four spot, and finds himself in a more comfortable spot, that also is right at the beginning of that streak. And you could see the way that he's killing the ball there. I give Ricky Renteria, you're going to be shocked by this, a plus one for the game on the 20th, the 9 to nothing victory over the Tigers in Game 4, where he's got Jimenez providing protection for Abreu, and the two of them go absolutely off. If you're going to give him a hard time about his lineup, you have to give him credit for that. And then I give him credit for the game against the Cubs on Saturday, going Grandal, Abreu, Jimenez as three, four, five.
1: Because that's a righty you're up against at this and point. And you're going
0: up against a righty, but the fact that Abreu seems relaxed, Ricky has to get credit for understanding an unmeasurable thing. We can look at sabermetrics whenever we want to, but if he's sitting there saying, hey, Jose's pressing all the time because he thinks he has to do everything, and this makes him comfortable and allows him to excel like where he was in his mid to late 20s, then you have to give him credit for it. I give Renteria credit for two wins during that seven-game win streak that they probably don't get if not for the manager. I have the factor of him... Costing them two games split and a half to negative one as a plus minus manager, I have him at negative one going in to the ga- the series against the Pirates. For
1: any of those listeners who think that all we're really doing is piling on Renteria, no, I mean no, he's the, improved the Putting, putting Eloy, he's making good decisions. Putting, putting Eloy in the putting Eloy behind Abreu to give him some protection was a very smart thing to do. Um, it should have I mean it should be a no-brainer because in Garnacion, up to this point in the year has been completely useless but I mean putting that aside Jose Abreu has said you know he wanted to come back and play here because he wanted to play in a lineup where he has some protection so you know props to Ricky for giving him some protection. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work and if you're a hard-working man or woman on the south side
0: you need to be outfitted properly and that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park and New Lenox. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from six to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115 year old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, The footwear is everything, so why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, with a sister store available to you at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Joining me on the phone line right now, he is the editor-in-chief for Sox on 35th. We did our simulated season with them back when we didn't know if baseball would even occur in 2020. And he's also the editor-in-chief for Diamond Digest. He is a two-time Sox Math finalist, and this is his first time on Sox in the Basement. Jordan Lazowski, how are you, sir?
2: Oh, I'm wonderful. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to talking to you about a number of different things. And I definitely want to get into how you become a Sox math finalist, but one of the things I want to dive in right away to, and this is the reason I reached out, you wrote an article last week, trying to take a very middle of the road approach to dissecting the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, is he is he still viable? Is he not Don Cooper? And I find this to be a fascinating subject for white Sox fans. We just did a live event back on Saturday night at Jack's place in Chicago Ridge, I had multiple fans come up to me and say, what do you think about Coop? You think they should get rid of him? It's amazing that this is constantly a discussion. Is that why you decided to write the article?
2: It is. I mean, every time it's either a bad outing or a prospect struggles when they first come up or, you know, someone has a bad outing out in the bullpen, it's Coop did this, Coop did that, fire Coop, fire this, fire that. It's like, You know, at at some point, it's not about whether you're pro-Coop or anti-Coop. or It's just looking at it from, like you were saying, a very neutral standpoint and trying to say, okay, what's the argument for moving on from Don Cooper? What's the argument moving on from Don Cooper or for keeping Don Cooper? And it's like it's trying to balance the two out and finding a way to work through it.
0: And we've tried to approach this here from different angles. Uh, We were fortunate enough to talk to a minor league pitching instructor by the name of Eric Minshaw, who has worked with Coop and explained to us that over this past offseason and even the offseason before that, but a lot this past offseason, Coop was really trying to look into more of the analytics. And he's reaching out to folks in the industry to try to make sure that he's not missing anything. And that fascinated me because I think people get a picture of him as he's just this crusty old guy with the New York accent whose ways are old and don't work anymore. How do you respond to that when people say that to you?
2: I mean, it's hard to judge based off that too. It's like you're based off of, you're basing it off of what he looks like, how long he's been with the team. It's like, you know, with the with the new age of analytics, the thing has kind of become where, oh, if you're on the, and again, this is a gross oversimplification, which is kind of the point of the article, is, you know, if you're on the younger side of the spectrum, you are so into analytics. Like, you love the numbers, you get it. But if you're on the older side of the spectrum, you don't get it, you hate the numbers, you hate analytics. And, and I think that if you approach Don Cooper and how long he's been with the team from that angle, I, I, I think you leave yourself open to missing some of what Don Cooper might be doing now with the experience you have talking with different people who have worked with Cooper. I, I think that's the closest you're going to get to seeing what Don Cooper does outside of talking to Don Cooper himself. That's why it's hard to really evaluate Don Cooper without talking to either him or someone who knows what he does on a daily basis.
0: What's your overall impression? I mean, I, I want people to go check out the article on Socks on 35th and, and read the entire thing. Cause it's fascinating But if you could sum it up for me, uh, give me what your overall impression is of Coop after taking this very long look at him and saying, okay, do I still like him as my pitching coach? I mean, when you were done with it, you had to have a feeling like, yeah, you know what, people are too hard on him. Or, you know, maybe there's an issue here that needs to be addressed.
2: I I think in many ways it can be both. You know, I, I try and interact with people. I try and look at it. I try and see both sides of it. And I do see... Valid arguments on both sides. I think pitching coaches usually have a shorter turnover um, in terms of tenure than what Don Cooper has been lucky enough to experience. Um, so the idea that, hey, I, I just want a new voice in there, that, that lends some sort of, okay, I, I kind of see where you're going with that. I, I see what you're saying. But at the same time, if you look at the numbers behind it, you know, he, he's never been – the Sox, except for like 2005 – have never been like the best team in baseball when it comes to a pitching staff. But also through all these bad years and these disappointing years, they've never been the worst team. They've never been so bad that I feel like looking at a number standpoint, I can say, yes, I can point to these years and say he should be fired because of these years. So I think it's trying to balance it between the two. Now, in terms of moving on from Don Cooper, Don Cooper moving forward, I think you have to kind of look at and this is a question I can't really answer, but what's his role in helping shape the philosophy of the current player development team? Because if you've seen that and seen what Chris gets and everyone has been doing, there's been a lot of younger um, former ballplayers coming in who are starting to shape the new age of white Sox player and pitcher development. And the role Don Cooper has in that kind of depends on how long you see Don Cooper coming. I think a lot of, fans will say they like the current pitching development staff. I mean, you're seeing guys like Matt Foster and Cody Hoyer. Those are products of this new age of White Sox pitching development. But if you like that and Don Cooper is a part of that, well, then how do you let the guy go until you're ready to promote one of those younger guys into his role? But if he doesn't have a big role in it, then I I can see, okay, he doesn't have a role in what they're doing at the minor league system bring somebody up who does, and continue that development into the major league system.
0: Jordan Lazowski is one of those folks over there at Sox on 35th. I love what you guys do. We were very excited that we got to do the simulated season with Sox on 35th. It was it was a lot of fun when we were waiting for baseball. Another thing that you do is you are a massively talented contestant when it comes to Sox math, the thing that uh, Jason Benetti does during the games, even when I try to participate by the time I come up with a number, I'm so far back from everybody else. Is it? Are you just really good on a search engine, or you just have most of the answers floating in your head?
2: I have never sat there and been able to go maybe once or twice, go through all four and say, yes, I know exactly what that number is. I think from doing so much research and so much analytical work that I can kind of figure out where to kind of go based on the type of question asked, like, I mean, for anyone listening, if you've never uh, dove into something like Baseball Reference, I can answer 95% of Benetti's questions just by using that and knowing where to look specifically for certain numbers and stuff like that. Um, As I give away all my secrets and I start to lose more (laughs) games and I start to wonder, why do I keep losing so often? (laughs) But at least you get to see some new faces uh, come up and winning these games. But, yeah, honestly, it just comes from, you know, I do so much analysis and just looking at players and looking at their numbers that you kind of learn where things are and then the other parts you can get from just Wikipedia, honestly. I mean, it, it, it comes with, again, just a lot of, diving into every single player just sitting there I'm wondering oh what did this guy hit this year and you start to figure out where everything kind of winds up but no it's always so much fun to do and this year has been a little bit different and getting to watch everyone with the videos and see everyone winning the games um it, it's certainly been a lot of fun
0: because of your analytical uh breakdowns and the fact you love it so much I got to ask you a question totally unrelated to the Coop article just for your opinion on it something we've talked about a lot on stocks in the Basement. And I think some people haven't really gotten what we were trying to do. We tried to break down the difference between some of these hitters when they go up against left-handed pitching and right-handed pitching. Not saying that you have to go with this lineup that we gave them, but trying to point out there were a few guys who are probably a little bit too high in the lineup against righties that would be amazing high in the lineup against lefties. And one of those guys that always stuck out to me when I looked at his numbers was Jose Abreu. But this year, he's killing right-handed pitching all of a sudden. What accounts for that in your mind? Is he getting more protection or is he just better somehow? Did he improve at this age? I'm surprised by it.
2: I have never seen a player as locked in as Jose Abreu has been this week. Just he seems to know exactly what he wants to do with the plate. And if he's not getting exactly what he wants, he's not trying to force the issue. And I think that's exactly where it comes from, what you were just saying, lineup protection. He doesn't feel like he has to go out and drive in a run or get a two-base hit to get in scoring position for the next guy up, and hopefully they can drive him in with another double or something like that, what have you. Him being able to just focus on his game and doing what works for him and really hone in on his approach that works best has created this for him. I think once this entire lineup starts to work at full speed, like it's kind of doing now with Grandal starting to hit, and Jimenez starting to hit, and Anderson starting to hit, the, the pressure falls off someone who, since he's been here since 2014, has been the guy in the lineup. And I think that's the sort of pressure that comes off that allows you to just focus on doing your thing and not having to do too much, because there are going to be other guys in the lineup that drive you in. You don't have to hit a home run every time. You don't have to hit a double off the wall every time. You can just do what fits your approach. And not having to go outside of his approach is absolutely the most important part. And I think that comes from, as you were mentioning, lineup construction and just general talent in this lineup that we haven't seen in a while.
0: It's amazing how baseball works that the moment that you go, I don't have to hit a home run, you rattle off four in a row.
2: Like frustrated, right. no, but it's, it's baseball. Baseball
0: is like, and that, and and in, even you, with your analytical mind, the way you like to break down numbers, have to be amazed at the mental thing that you can't measure when it comes to baseball and how things change, things like that. It's incredible to me.
2: It is. I mean, when you look at th- this, is a tangent on Twitter where it's it's either you're all analytics or you're all no analytics. Like you got to find a way to put the two together because everything I do with analytics starts with something I see. And even as I write all these analytical articles and put all these tweets out about Jose Abreu and he comes out and starts hitting like he's 28 again. It's like, I I couldn't have told you that from the numbers. Maybe someone could have told you that strictly just by watching the game. It's just such an interesting thing to try to marry the two together that, you know, just when you think you've got it all figured out with the analytics, it comes around and says, you know, this is baseball at the end of the day you're not going to be able to fit everything nicely into your box as you'd hope. Jordan
0: Lazowski is the editor in chief for sax on 35th and diamond digest. And he was nice enough to join us today on Sax in the basement. My friend, I, I hope you'll join us again someday soon.
2: Oh, absolutely. I love what you guys do here. It was an absolute pleasure to be on here and absolutely love what you guys do. Absolutely love everything you guys are about.
0: Last Saturday, we were out live at Jack's play 7,000 West Southwest highway in Chicago, Ridge, Illinois. We had a great time. The place was as full as it could be due to COVID-19, folks hanging out in the parking lot. We had the big tent out there, gave away a lot of swag, big screen TV, free food, free beer. It was a blast. They got lots of flat screens out there, pizza at the bar, lots of drink options, safe, clean, fun in the interior, and a private video gaming room away from the cheers of those watching our boys offering partitions and space so you can feel comfortable and confident playing the slots. 11 a.m. Tuesday through Sundays they're open. They close midnight on the weekdays and 2 a.m. on Friday and Saturday nights. Jack's Place in Chicago Ridge is your place this season. It was also where we debuted Socks in the Basement Saturdays. Sometimes it'll be live, sometimes it'll be an interview series. This Saturday, it'll be a combo. The remainder of my in-depth conversation with Jordan Lazowski, plus your phone calls, and all you have to do is join us live on the Podbean app this Saturday. We're going to do it at noon before the 1.10 p.m. start against the Royals this Saturday. Live on the Podbean app. Get the app anywhere you can get apps at on any device. You should also be able to find your way to that app at SoxInTheBasement.com. Join us live. Call in live through the app. Join the live chat room and listen to more as we really get into it with Jordan Lazowski and Don Cooper. Friend or foe? I don't know. One of his pitchers just got a no-hitter. I think he's riding high right now. One of the drunk uncles, one of the kings of White Sox Twitter, My Sox Summer is on to have yet another irrational White Sox argument. How are you, my friend?
3: Chris, I'm doing fantabulous. I have a full RC Cola in front of me. It is cold. I have ice on it. It's in my cup. I mean, it is just I am I, ready to start yelling at you as soon as you bring up something that I don't like.
0: All right. Well, here we go. I've got the first one for you, and it's an absolute doozy. The White Sox are actually better without fans. Ha! <laughs> The looseness of this team, just being able to screw around on the field and hear each other yell at each other and make fun of each other and goof off without the pressure
3: may have been the best thing that happened to this team. I'm gonna go ahead and agree with that. Now, I think that that, I think it's true. I, I, I think they're they're having a really good time and not having to listen to uh, guys yelling about uh, uniform changes and is really like translated to success on the field. Now, there is one guy who's on the team from up north who definitely misses those fans, and that's Javi Baez because his act plays really rough when there's nobody there yelling at him. He looks depressed <laughs> and just unsaid. Like, he looks very sad the entire time he's playing baseball now. And, I mean, we know sad because we've seen sad for many years, so we can identify sad. We are experts at that.
0: All right, how about this one? White Sox Twitter is helping the White Sox win ball games by pissing off players and managers as they constantly are talking about how they're being disrespected and then go on absolute tears on the field?
3: <laughs> I I think it was a wise man in Korea, Daniel Palka, that said, I love fans that's complained about managerial decisions like they're actually reading the actual accounts and saying, oh, shit, I better change something. I, 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 I mean, I don't think people are having any impact on anything. Like, this is all set. Like, we, it's set, and they don't really make any changes based on what they read on Twitter.
0: Don't you think it's interesting, though? Like, like when Anderson comes back, he comes around third base, and he's doing the shush sign. And at first, you're like, that's <laughs> funny, because there's nobody in the stands. But then he explains it's because people are saying... He shouldn't be the leadoff hitter anymore. And come on, I'm Tim Anderson. I had 335 last year. And then Abreu made a comment during his heater over the weekend that basically people were, were counting him out and treating him badly. I'm wondering if they're picking tweets off of White Sox Twitter and they're putting them on a bulletin board in there.
3: Chris, maybe due to the last dance and Jordan going out there and showing his theory of how he stayed motivated all those years to be the best of all times, Maybe they are said, hey, listen, let's, let's go on to the Twitters and let's just create stories, or we don't even have to create them because White Sox fan base is very bipolar. Um, we will hate you one minute and then like you the next minute. Uh, maybe they're just making these stories and feeding them to the players to get them motivated. That's, that's possible. Um, I, but I don't – I don't know it doesn't seem like a guy that's a big Twitter dude. Like, he doesn't seem like a guy to be there. Anderson, I'm sure Anderson's got people, but I'm sure Anderson also keeps in his head I'm gonna f with people just cuz like he's he's really good at that.
0: He seems to be that way. My sack summer is one of the three drunk uncles on White Sox Twitter, one of the kings of White Sox Twitter, and that is Section 108, who unfortunately can't go into their section this year, but I'm telling you, no. if they make it into the postseason, I think they should let you three guys sit out there six feet apart from each other, and and, and just the, the three core members, I want to see you down in the corner, I'm willing to get behind it and push at the White Sox if they're not going to let anybody in. They at least let the 108 sit out there in the corner.
3: That's what we will pull the strings to make that happen so you will be happy to do it. I don't particularly want to go back into the stadium, but I will do it for you. Just especially if it's just a playoff.
0: No, how about this? I'll just go hang out with Beef Loaf and Therese and I'll I'll take your place.
3: There, there, oh, that's no, no, what no. we'll do. No, no, no. We're 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 all of us or none of us. When we came to the basement to record that podcast, it wasn't just two of us. It wasn't one of us. It was all three of us. We have to travel in groups, especially when it's White Sox related. I'm sorry, Chris. I can't help you out here.
0: I tried to slip that one by you. Thank you, my friend, <laughs> for joining me and for having some more irrational White Sox arguments. I appreciate it. Thanks for bringing me on,
1: Chris. Something else I need to talk to you about real quick before you know we we move on here. Um, we had we had been mentioning on Saturday that there is just something. Uh, going on with Yoan Mancata. You had brought him up and his defensive misadventures a couple yeah. of minutes ago. You know, we had just kind of shot from the hip on Saturday and been like, well, is this a, you know, is this some sort of COVID lingering thing or whatever? Watching the rest of that game on Saturday and then watching again on Sunday, I had heard Stone and Benetti make multiple mentions to the fact that um, Mancata does not have his legs under him. Is he dealing with some sort of leg injury or something that, that I've missed? He just seems to have a strength
0: thing, you know, I mean, they're there. They were showing something with him in the batter's box. It looks like the way that he's even setting in the batter's box would suggest that he doesn't have it all in his legs right now. Um, He, he has made some real mistakes and had some real deficiencies and it continues to be blamed on his legs. I don't know if there's fatigue you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know, and I don't know anything about his medical history. Right, and but have, I don't know if he's got, have got have fatigue the... from having COVID or if he's dealing with an actual physical injury. And
1: the Sox haven't; they're not going to release anything because you know it's it's they're protecting the privacy of the players. If it is in fact a COVID thing, and if it is just a a nagging injury going on with his leg or legs, uh, you know, unless it's something that puts him on the IL, they're not going to they're not going to say that, but, you know, I've seen across social media um, a couple of times questionable, well, what Pete, not questionable in my mind, but people questioning uh, Renteria for sitting Mancata as often as he has been. So, I mean, again, that right there points to the fact that you know, the guy is dealing with some lingering things. Now it could very well, I wonder, and again, I'm shooting from the hip here. Could this be a conditioning thing? Because remember the guy was out with COVID pretty much up until the start of the season. So, I mean, is there some sort of, uh, Preseason lack of conditioning thing happening here. I again, I don't know. There's but, something definitely but, that it impacts. He was Mankata, either impacted by being out
0: or he's impacted still by some weakening after right. having mancata
1: is very mancata is very much not himself. So, you know, hoping that whatever this is, uh, that's bugging him can, you know, he can get himself he could get himself right before we start really come playoff time. So yeah, lots to lots to be happy about this week. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they you know we get the pirates Tuesday, Wednesday, and we eat and we feast.
0: Finally, some things to look forward to. One, Nick Madrigal might be back very, very soon. It looks like okay. That'll be nice to add that in there to that lineup and to have him out there defensively at second base. Two, the pitching. I would love to see Reynaldo Lopez act as an opener for Gio Gonzalez like they did over the weekend. Because if you just send that kid out there for a couple of innings until he starts to get into trouble, and then you bring in the lefty against a lineup that isn't prepared and now has to has guys lined up the wrong way inside their lineup, that's a really nice way to use that. And I wouldn't mind seeing them do the same thing with Carlos Rodon and Dane Dunning in the fifth spot once Rodon is ready. I would love at this point to see Keuchel and Giolito and Cease as regular starters. The four and the five spots are a rego. Okay. Rego. I love <laughs> it. Ray-Go, you got Reynaldo Lopez and uh, Gio Gonzalez. You got Rago in the four spot. And then you okay. got, uh, and then you Rago and Rodon. That's what I want to see. <laughs> Socks in the basement.
1: Socks in the basement.
3: Socks in the basement. Socks
1: in the basement. <laughs> Heard everywhere. A podcast can be found and always on socksinthebasement